Welcome to Amongst the Books, a podcast for kids, by kids, and yes, adults too. Blue Delaquante believes in feeding your passions and finding things to make you happy and well-rounded. And their books project a variety of styles, subject matters, and characters. I sat down with Blue to discuss their work and find out if they really did eat some bugs. So let's dig in to today's episode. Um, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I, so I read meal because the, the story sounded so interesting to me. Like I'm Mm -hmm. a foodie and I hate using that term, Mm -hmm. but I am such a foodie. And when I saw what this was like, just how, like when I first read what it was about, I was like, Oh, this sounds like so much fun. And then when I actually got to read it, I was like, I love this book. (laughs) Like this was great. Like it opened my eyes to a whole different like cuisine of food, but it Mm -hmm. also like these characters were so much fun to like get to know. So (laughs) I was like doubly thrilled at the end of this. I was like, I loved all the, like the little tidbits on food, but then I loved these characters so much and I want to eat at this restaurant. (laughs) see this like painting and this artwork and everything like I want this to be like a real place (laughs) (laughs) I know I would love to I would love to get some like takeout from that place and support them (laughs) absolutely like during these COVID times I want to support everybody so (laughs) um so I mean we're just gonna kind of like jump right in I know you were an extremely busy uh creative person right here and I don't want to take up all of your time so um we're just gonna like jump right in um I have to say that you are now the third Ignatz award nominee or winner that I have gotten to interview Mm -hmm. and I am so excited about this because I never knew about this award until I started doing these podcasts and now I'm like I'm just interviewing everybody like all of these winners (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, it's, it's funny. Cause it's not a, it's not like the Eisner's, right? Like it's not like right. a super broad award. It's very specific to this like b- beloved convention mm-hmm. that I think that like, you know, folks who get an Ignatz tend to like, you know, come up with really creative projects further down the road, they get them further attention. And it's just, I don't know. It's also a really fun award. Like it's literally a brick on a, on a pedestal that, That's so cool. yeah, it's, it's super cute. I actually, um, uh, a friend of mine who lives in the same town uh, won an Ignatz, but was not able to attend. So I had to like bring the brick home in my suitcase to transport oh, it no. to her. And uh, believe it or not, my bag was searched at the <gasps> airport. I'm sure they're like, yeah, so this giant brick shaped thing, we kind of need to investigate. That. Yeah, we need to look at that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> but that's so like, it's so cool because I feel like it is a, um, it's definitely an award that is speaking to a whole different group and genre and creative creative group of um, of graphic novels and mm-hmm. stories that don't seem to get as much press or recognition mm-hmm. as some of their other counterparts do. Mm-hmm. So I am like thrilled when mm-hmm. I see these sorts of things <laughs> pop up. Um, but you're also a PRISM award winner. 
I am. Yeah, I you am a Prism Award winner. <laughs> How does it feel to be like, I always wonder with this, especially in working on something that is so personal and so creative. How does it feel when you are recognized in this way, especially by a lot of time by your peers? It's, it's interesting. Well, because I feel like, you know, my work is so niche and I feel like it's niche within a niche industry. So, you know, I don't necessarily expect any kind of like recognition in, in the form of an award. So whenever I get one, I'm like, oh, that's nice. Oh, that's fun. I guess it's usually more fun because the words themselves tend to look very cool or are be very creative. So, I mean, it is like, it's gratifying in a way, but it's one of those things where I'm kind of aware that like the fact that people are seeing my work at all is kind of, you know, still unprecedented. And any attention that my work gets is still kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't take it for granted, I guess. That's awesome though. Cause it's it, like, so this is like the, I feel like these always been like journeys for mm. writers where um, like, so how did you get started in like this whole world of writing and drawing and all of this? Like, what was your spark? Like, what was... I was really, I was always fairly interested into comics and I initially thought I wanted to go into animation first. I got really interested in animation in like middle school and I learned a lot about it. I started drawing a lot. And I think over time, as I started becoming aware of like just how much of a team effort animation is and how much effort goes into like making even like the smallest production I started paying more attention to comics and seeing like the immersive, you know, that same kind of immersiveness and like the sheer amount of output that can be put out by like a single person. Mm -hmm. And I got really, I don't know, I got very interested in the like technical, the technical aspects of like, why do, you know, why does this fight scene feel like it's paced so well or what makes this one scene like feel much more dragged out like I got really interested in like the nitty-gritty kind of like grammar of comics in a way that uh nothing else had really excited me before as a young person so I you know just found myself gravitated towards like writing for comics and drawing for comics like I, I got a literature degree and like I learned how to write in prose but comics was always where I really wanted to end up if I could possibly help it very cool yeah like so how did you start like in the the drawing side of it all because I always feel like the like I, I always feel like that like when it comes to like graphic novelists it's usually like the writing comes a lot easier or the drawing comes a lot easier mm. so that's a good question well because I, I definitely think that that is that varies a lot depending on the person um I am very much like a character driven narrative kind of person. Right. And I think you can see that in the works that I did, but you know, I was the kind of kid where I would draw like a roster of characters. Like I would just make up characters that were interesting to me or had like, you know, fun outfits or something. <laughs> and the story was just kind of like, eh, don't worry about it. And over time, like as I got more serious and more interested in making this like making stories I started paying more attention to that kind of character driven narrative and thinking right. about like well how do characters propel a story forward and you know what motivates them like what are their flaws what 
how do these like characters come together and conflict and so a lot of times that drove the kind of writing that I did so I feel very much it is a art and then as a subset like just developing characters and like creating like dolls to play with I guess you could say but um yeah I don't know I I drew a lot as a kid and I think a lot of it was right place right time I started getting into comics around the time a lot of really exciting stuff was happening with online comics and you know it's exploded since then and I feel like the the ecosystem of online comics as I experience it doesn't quite exist anymore which is right. bizarre because it's been maybe 10 years <laughs> everything changes so quickly online that absolutely yeah it's exciting but it's also like a big learning curve yeah and like everything changes very quickly like I've I've read web comics like throughout the years but I think it's been like really this last year and a half that I like fully discovered like wow there was an entirely different world mm-hmm. of comics and you know comic strips and graphic novels and everything out there that I never even knew of so mm-hmm. I've been like doing deep dives and rabbit holes and things like that into all these web comics so um how did you get started like, what made you want to do like a web comic series I um I found that the bar for entry, such as it was, was very low. Like I was interested in graphic novels. I was really interested in like ongoing stories that, you know, had really interesting subjects that wasn't necessarily superheroes or even really kind of like the graphic novel, like uh, playing ground that I saw at the time, which was like very serious or often like a memoir. you know, very like erudite, like subjects and web comics, they tend to have a little more fun, or at least like they were aware that they could like, explore their niche interests. Um, Like a good example of a online comic that was very foundational to me was uh, called Templar Arizona, which was drawn and written by Spike Trotman, who now runs Iron Circus Comics, which published Neil. So I read this in like 2005, when I was in high school. And the best way to describe it was like, an alternative hit present of a kid starting out like his adult life in a small town with a lot of like funky like subcultures and it was like basically her opportunity to like come up with all these fun funky like bohemian subcultures and just like let them run loose in this town she made up and it was I could see I could never see that being like a graphic novel that would have been published at that time in like 2005 but she was like having a field day online so (laughs) I was just like oh well I could just draw whatever I want and I'll just you know work on it when I have time and that is like that's my way to you know build my experience and like learn how to tell stories learn how to learn that discipline for like putting something out you know a page a week without fail right and you know give myself some like creative freedom uh where I'm writing things that interest me and I'll see if anybody else likes it too and that ended up being the case so um yeah and I it was really interesting because I feel like I was coming into this world or this community of like online comics people who've been there for like a decade already and like you know done the like very you know uh scrabbled together economy of making a living like 
selling t-shirts or yeah. selling banner ads on your website. Remember that? Like, oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> Where they would just pop up every, like everywhere. I was like, wait, what is all this stuff just coming at me right now? Yeah. <laughs> and I came in like right before Kickstarter completely revolutionized the self-publishing oh, yeah. game. So like by the time I got in and started like snowballing an audience, a lot of that infrastructure just had completely changed. And I don't know, maybe this is very inside baseball, but I find it very interesting to like see what, you know, what kind of system I got used to and where I was able to accrue a lot of readers and a community and then see how much that's changed over the last couple of years and seeing people start web comics now and where they find success and how they decide like how they want to develop that discipline of like putting out yeah. work. It's very, very interesting. I and feel totally different. Yeah. I feel like it's definitely like it takes um, a lot of um, how do I put like a lot of discipline in when you're putting something out. Um, it also takes a lot of like um, organization of yes. this too. Cause now it's like, okay, how do I want to break it down to keep the readers interested, not finish a story, but still mm -hmm. be on target for all my, so I'm like, I give, that's why I give you guys so much credit for doing the web comics. Cause that's something that you want to make sure that people are like keeping up to date with and it's keeping that story going so yeah yeah and it's it, it it's really fun it's really exciting to see the work that people have been able to do for you know sometimes over a decade just these ongoing stories and have them collected into books or you know what have you maybe not even not but it's like a cherished part of your daily routine yeah. is checking something like that was always really exciting to me. And they were just putting out work that, you know, at the time would not have been viable for print. Now some of that is changing or maybe yeah. they are being, you know, courted by publishers for, you know, printed work. But yeah, at this time it was like this wild west of like genre and, you know, age range and yeah. topic and, and just really, really interesting. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like it's one of those that, um, you didn't have to feel like, oh, I'm reading something that's too young for me the way mm -hmm. you would if you get like a physical copy of something. You're like, oh, someone's going to see me reading this. Mm -hmm. Or I'm reading something that like I shouldn't be reading because it might be a little bit too much for me, but I know I can handle it. So mm -hmm. it definitely gives, I feel, the reader a lot of freedom too to explore mm -hmm. other genres, other styles too because mm -hmm. I found stuff that I never would have picked up if I saw it on a shelf but yeah this way I was like oh I'll give it a shot and I now read them like all the time so. yeah that like perceived bar for entry is much lower in a yes. way and I feel like you know a thing that ties into that that I also think is important is that I kind of came in I would say around this time, there was this big groundswell in queer content on right. online, both in terms of comics and online work. I feel like I was very right place, right time in that a lot of people were just producing really, really interesting queer stories and queer comics for kids, for adults, just like, you know, from perspectives that again, were not typically uh, uh, sought after by traditional publishers. Right. So that was also a big game changer too. And it's very interesting seeing uh, a lot of graphic novels. Like I do feel like, you know, graphic novels are printed graphic novels are 
you know, getting a lot of interest by publishers. They're publishing a lot more graphic novels. They can tell people enjoy reading them, especially kids stuff. And it's really interesting to see how many of them are about queer stories or queer kids or, you know, other kinds of narratives. And a lot of those people came from online. Like they, you know, were found by publishers because of the work they did online first, which I think is very interesting and cool. I think, yeah, I think it's great because I feel like it really is now um, opening the door for a lot of readers um, and just consumers of the printed work that this might have been um, storylines or characters that they never would have looked to prior. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I've been a big pusher of graphic novels for years just because I see how it, it allows some of the, especially the struggling readers to mm-hmm. feel so accomplished in reading a mm-hmm. book and finishing a book, but it definitely gives them that sense of like, I read something that I really wanted to read too. Right. It wasn't that it was just with pictures, but yeah. I read something that really interested me. So. Yeah. yeah. The thing that I think is interesting about, you know, the struggling reader like line is that, you know, I feel like it's not necessarily easier to read graphic novels I really it's a very sophisticated kind of like set of skills to understand how picture and text go together yeah I think what people don't realize is that you know we also like we we live in a culture that has a lot of like images and text all together and we absorb that throughout our lives so they're you know picking up skills that will be very important and they're just picking them up faster than like the traditional like text reading skills. Absolutely. But to give them that accomplishment is like a huge boost to help them like pick up other skills later on too. It really does. Cause it's, it's the inferring of what, especially when there are times when there are no words attached to the image Yeah, that it's like, okay, what is this picture telling me now that's progressing the story along? Mm-hmm. So uh, that's one of the reasons why I love this format. I love this. And mm-hmm. the facial expressions that you can give to some of the characters tell an entire story where what I see in like maybe three panels would take sometimes 10 pages. Of prose, yeah, it's incredibly sophisticated. And that was the kind of thing that I loved when I was starting to read comics seriously in middle school. So when you started, you created Oh Human Star. Mm -hmm. Now, this is an interesting combination I feel of like in a way like genres. So we have like a the robotic side, so a little bit of sci-fi. We mm-hmm. have um, the romance side a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then we have a very like character-driven story, like, like feeling stories. So how was it combining all of these and creating these very distinct characters? <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, Oh Human Star, the premise came to me very quickly at the beginning. Like I actually almost, I'm pretty sure it was uh, like something I dreamed up. Like it was the basic premise came to me in a dream. I thought it was interesting. I wrote it down and then it wouldn't leave me alone. So I just picked at it and picked at it until I had the characters refined and the narrative that emerged from it. But I feel like that combination of like science fiction and of like character driven like romance and relationships is something that I've really enjoyed seeing in narratives already. Um, 
it actually, I, I was thinking about it a couple of years after I started, it really reminded me of one of my favorite novels, which is Solaris by Stanislav Lem. Have you ever read that? I, I read a little bit of it. I will say I read a little bit of it. I didn't get to read all of it, but I read yeah. a little bit. It's, it's that same kind of like vaguely melancholy, like relationship romance story, but it's set against this backdrop of this like it's a science fiction hook, but you don't really have to like, it's not hard science fiction where you have right. to understand the in and out and how everything works. You just have to understand that they're facing this like unknowable, hard to comprehend, like, you know, intelligence yes. and it, like, you know, understanding that and how it's, you know, uh, affecting us as people was always very interesting to me. So I always really liked the, you know, human element of how massive technological change affects society. Ursula Le Guin novels are also yes. very much like that. I, I was about to reference her because I feel like that's a very, uh, like a strong like um, comparison. Yeah. To, to this. I love, I loved her books. They're a huge influence oh. on like the stories that I like. They were the ones that started getting me to read science fiction. It mm. never like I was never a science fiction fan where mm. I was like, oh wait, it's like robots and wait, what we're in outer space? No, I can't do this. And mm -hmm. then I started going into it more and I was like, no, there's like so like there's a beautiful story here. Mm -hmm. And it took like a lot of people to keep pushing her books onto me. Where, where I finally <laughs> just like gave it, I'm like, fine, I'll do it. <laughs> and now I'm in like a science science fiction book club. So it's like, all right, I went full board at this point. <laughs> Yeah, it, and it's like, I think, I feel like the most effective science fiction boils down to like, you know, one thing about our society that is different or like something that we have to react to. Like, you know, what if, you know, uh, like what if someone that you loved or was very important to you came back from the dead? Like, how do you have to deal with that? Like, you know, or there's lots of like science fiction stories that are very, you know, easy to boil down, like three body problem, like a, a yeah. big book everyone's talking about, like, you know, what would it be like to communicate with aliens who are massively more powerful than us? Like, what would that mean? Exactly. Like, you know, would it be the worst thing in the world? Like, yeah, right. Like it makes you have to like, cause now you start thinking for yourself, like, wait, how would I react to something like this? Like, yeah. How they're doing it, like how the science world would maybe do it, but mm -hmm. I'm not that person. So it really does make you have to evaluate your own like thinking and do I believe in all this stuff too, so. Yeah, and even if somebody like a character doesn't, you don't agree with them 100%, if you can understand how they came to believe the things they believe, right. that's very interesting to me and very compelling as yes. a story. Yes, and I feel like it's something that also it teaches us to be like that normally. It, it mm -hmm. allows us to say like, okay, we need to like really look at each, each of us and see where you're coming from. Cause we all have different stories. We all have different beliefs. Mm -hmm. So yours is no better than mine. And mine is not superior to someone else's. So I think when you have stories and like that, it allows you to really look more into how you interact with people and the world around you too. Yeah. Um, I, I gotta say you, <laughs> You dive into a few different types of stories. I, I, I do. Say, I was going to say, we, we talked about Meal, and Meal is a very different story. Meal is a completely different story. And then we also have The Stand, which is a whole nother set. Yeah. 
Yeah. So um, I want to dive into meal. Yes. It's a weird way to say that, but yes, I want to dive into meal. Um, so how, was this the first time you worked with someone else in creating the story? Not, not chronologically, but like okay. to that extent or like in the way that we uh, collaborated. Right. Yes. That was the first time that I'd done something quite like that. Um, so I had previously like worked where, you know, I was the artist and someone else was the writer, writer. but I'd never had that like collaborative at the writing stage uh, experience before. So how did you guys meet? So Soleho, how did you guys meet and how did this come to be? <laughs> so it's kind of a funny story. I love telling this story because it's so like, it should not have happened this way. Um, but I was researching this book. I realized that I needed uh, like to speak with someone who had more experience with how restaurants worked. But I was also like doing a lot of research about the like, food industry topics that I wanted to explore more. And a name that I kept seeing pop up but over and over again was Soleil Ho. She was like, you know, she still is. She yeah. is currently a, a columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle, like right. their food person. Um, but she was writing lots of essays about the food industry and like things that I was interested in. So I reached out to her. I kind of explained what I was, you know, hoping to like, you know, questions I was hoping she could help answer. And she was like, oh yeah, I know your work. Also, I think I used to live in the same apartment building you did in Minneapolis. And it oh, come on. out, yeah, she knew my landlord. She like knew the neighborhood. And we just like, I realized that the grody old couch that I had to figure out how to get out of my apartment was her grody old couch. Oh like, no. Yeah, it was a completely like, it was complete, like, you know, total coincidence. And you know, we just got like, we clicked right away. Like we had I, similar interests and like, it was just a really, really ideal working relationship. Totally like lampshaded by all this other weird that is so, coincidences. Like I would feel if you guys didn't click, I mean, you guys shared in a way like a really gruddy couch. So <laughs> like if you bond just over the couch alone. Yes. <laughs> but that is so funny how that this all like falls into place in a way. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. It's about eating bugs though. Yes. So yeah, I, let me, let me give you some backstory on this too. Cause again, yes, it's like, please. you know, <laughs> from the outside, it is, does seem very different from the kind of work I like to also do, but I, um, had experience eating insects for the first time when I was in college. I had the opportunity to take a trip to Thailand and okay. the hosts I was staying with at the time uh, offered to make like a cricket stir fry. And it was a big like social event. Like we went out and we got like crickets. We put them in like a cooler, like you'd bring to a kid's soccer game. We brought them back made them into a stir fry. I was like, oh, that was fun. I'm going to continue thinking about eating bugs a reasonable and normal amount. Right. But it became one of those things where over time, I realized I had a lot more like casual information and knowledge about eating bugs than anybody else did. Um, <laughs> I actually, <laughs> some of it, the origins of the book kind of came from spite when I realized I had a very like, overt reaction to a movie that had an eating bugs bugs some subplot okay. which is weird like 
it was a, a Bong Joon Ho movie. Okay. Snowpiercer that had a subplot about eating bugs. And I remember like thinking about it for a long time. And at the same time, I also got much more interested in comics about food. And I got right. very interested in how people use the comics medium to talk about things like food and taste and like good food memories. Yeah. So over time that synthesized into something where it's like, I would like to talk about this like esoteric topic about eating insects. I want to do it in a way that's like accessible and fun and interesting. Yes. I want to tell it with comics and just exercise this extremely casual interest that I have. <laughs> <laughs> so it just, it, it came together. And like the funniest thing was later, I realized that one of my favorite um, comic artists kind of also had a similar journey with her work. She kind of went from like science fiction to realistic fiction about like a farming high school, like an agricultural high school okay. and what it's like to like learn how to grow food and like tend livestock. And it seems like a very roundabout way, but mm -hmm. a lot of her themes and things that she's interested in her work are the same but that the window dressing is different. Right, right. And I remember thinking like, oh, I'm kind of like that too. I do have similar <laughs> themes that I'm interested in both where the genre and the everything is different, but right. I'm still interested in the same things from narrative to narrative. I mean, this was just so much fun to read when I did read it. <laughs> I was like, and then you give recipes. So yeah. I legit like, Amazon was probably going, what is this woman looking at right now? I started looking like, okay, where can I get bugs? Where can I find crickets? I want to try making this. And then I'm just like, wait, really? Am I going to do this? Like, am I really going to do this? Like, I will just find a restaurant that is doing this. I live near New York City. Yeah, you, you, you'll find something. Yes. I'll have someone else cook it for me. <laughs> but the journey that each of these characters have in this um, are very distinct, but they're also, in a way, they kind of all mirror each other, I feel, a little bit, where they're trying to put a name, trying to put their stamp on the world, uh, trying to find themselves, too, within this already giant world, and then supporting each other in those journeys. Um, so I guess, like, we're these characters like did you have a distinct view for each of these characters or were they like any like influence from people that you've met throughout the course of your own life mm -hmm. that's a good question I um I feel like it is a there's a couple of different paths that I took to developing some of these characters like Yarrow the main character I was very specific about how I wanted her to like because in a way she's kind of straddling these two worlds. She's kind of an ambassador between like, you know, having this very specific interest, being very passionate about it, but kind of like running up against this wall of, you know, explaining her interest and making it accessible and making right. it not super scary. And in a way that like, you know, when she meets other people who do share her interest, it's alienating. And there's yeah. like, you know, there's a conversation about what it's like to present a 
especially like a traditional food from like another culture and making it accessible and palatable to the mainstream, primarily white society. And there's like a kind of language that you use and a way to like make it seem less scary. And then if you don't know how to code switch back to like, you know, people that the food came from, it's very alienating and like, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it like her trying to figure out her place to like be authentic and like authentically passionate and not have to like be this ambassador all the time was a was a big choice on my part right um Milani kind of came from that I felt like her best position as a foil for Yara was like Yara was very very passionate enthusiastic and I thought it would be fun to have a character who is like not as confident in the things that she finds interesting or is afraid to make that leap to being open about the things that she likes yeah and you know for fear of other people not liking them too yeah it seemed like like she held back the most Mm -hmm. in putting herself out there yeah and I Um, think that yeah that's something that like came very easily to me in developing her as a character and then there's like other characters like you know a lot of the side characters are definitely based or inspired by people I know actually one of the characters is based (laughs) on a friend of mine who is like the trustworthy power tool friend who helped me break up and destroy the grody old couch in the apartment hey you need a friend like that everybody needs a friend like that exactly like (laughs) a crucial a crucial friend in the friend ecosystem exactly yeah and yeah and yeah there's yeah there's like the yeah the mentor friend like there's the mentor that's like chanda who's like gone through all the ropes and like had this own journey and like is you know has made it really far but she's kind of on her own and she you know doesn't know how to like find that person like the mentee or the 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 colleague you know yeah be there for her and support her because it is such a distinct world that Chandra is in and that Yara was trying to get into yeah so that they're they're alone but together yeah but they don't know that they're together yet in a way yeah exactly it's yeah that's why I think when they started um building their friendship together it was like you see it blossoming in such a beautiful way that mm-hmm. they, there is that level of respect that they both had for each other. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's that, that like, and that's something that I really enjoy seeing in any kind of story that is about a very niche. And I feel like manga does this very well. And there's some like stylization to meal that I like took from manga I really enjoyed. But like manga is very good at like having an author who is clearly into like a very niche subject, like wine for example or a certain kind of like sport or a a board game and like they create this like you know world of people who are all experts and like sticklers about this thing and they all come together and they like win the volleyball championship (laughs) or they like they they you know make the make the you know whatever like right the like you know (laughs) no they become like the number one like that's it like that's what happens but exactly and it's all like serves to like introduce the reader into this like really passionate interest of the authors right um through this like journey of like coming together and understanding each other and like you know uh different perspectives and different motivations yeah 
Absolutely. And I like it. It's just great to see um, how these characters were able to grow together mm -hmm. um, when you don't often see that in a lot of books where there's always that one that is just like already there, hit the top, hit the peak. And mm -hmm. it's like, I got nowhere else to go. Mm -hmm. And you kind of go like, well, I still like you, but eh, whatever. These <laughs> characters, you go, you go on the journey with them. You see them grow. You see them become more confident in their own skin. Mm -hmm. And by the end of it, you're just so happy for them all. And that's what made me just go like, oh, I really like this one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I'm really glad that that felt like a, you know, relatable journey. And that's something that I also have to thank Soleil for is like, her giving me that understanding of like what it's like to set up a restaurant and run a yeah. restaurant, which is like such a cutthroat it's industry. And there's so much, you know, that just goes into the running of it and like planning meals and like yeah. getting people interested. It's like, you know, that's a whole intense thing. Even if you're making food that people have eaten before for the most part. Right. And it's, it seems like it's such like, I mean, it's an art form, like, mm -hmm doing all that and like running a restaurant, making food and everything. I mean, that's why like we always say we eat with our eyes first because you're looking at what's being put in front of you. Mm -hmm. And every time, like I watch like Top Chef, I do all like, you know, Chopped, all this sort of shows. Mm -hmm. And every time I watch, I'm like, I would be so bad in the kitchen. Like I like <laughs> cooking, but I do not have the, I, I, my stress level would be through the roof. I would not be <laughs> I definitely relate. I love when it goes in the other direction. Like if you're watching the Great British Bake Off and oh, yeah. they goof up like an Italian meringue. And meanwhile, I'm just eating there with like a box of M&Ms just being yeah. like, oh yeah, they messed up the Italian meringue. Yeah. Amateur mistake. Right, exactly. Oh, it cracked. What is wrong with you? <laughs> I know. And I'm just saying, I'm like, I will never try to make one of those in my life. Like, mm -hmm. but that looked me. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why I like the show nailed it so much yes that I, that's a great really one because that is how I cook that is how I bake at least <laughs> Baking <laughs> science I do not have that degree in <laughs> um all right so I, I don't want to take up all of your time but I yeah, do want to okay. touch on the stand a little bit sure um because this was another collaboration that you did mm -hmm. and this one I mean this really opens, I think, a reader's eyes mm -hmm. to stories that they might not have heard um, in mainstream media or in other ways, and to have the visual with it also. Mm -hmm. um, what made you want to work on this particular be, set of stories? To be honest, it was kind of a, like, it was something that fell into my lap. I was working on Oh, Human Star early on. And it was like, you know, my passion project that I did in between paying right. work. And some of my earliest comics paid work was, you know, working with uh, David Axe was the first uh, author that I worked with, who's a journalist and he travels a lot and like, you know, we're torn areas and like conflict zones. And uh, he was an early, uh, like, he was a journalist who was very early interested in the um, possibilities of comics journalism, right. which is something that's taken off a lot in the last 10 years. I think at the time he was one of the first people to think about 
how like the questions of like how you can tell a story with like journalistic integrity yeah. through comics and like he's a very intense guy like he's very professional and he's very nice but he kind of has that intense like Gary Oldman energy okay. where <laughs> like you know he will like you know talk about these things that he experienced or like you know how to look a certain way and you want to measure up and like tell it properly so I feel like it was a big learning experience in terms of like learning how to tell these stories with you know respect to the people who like experience these things mm -hmm. and like how to draw things like correctly like if you're we're talking about things that you know like googling them you know why am i looking up these things i had years where i was looking up like ieds and yeah. like you know right. <laughs> that was when i when i was reading some of it i was just like oh whoa wait a minute i i don't yeah. am i supposed to be knowing what this is like it was kind of like i didn't even know how you could wrap your head around drawing some of this out yeah um, but it was just it was such a thought-provoking and eye-opening yeah it work. was it was a really rewarding experience first of all because my collaborators were really professional and they were really like they had a lot of trust in me as the artist to make decisions about how to tell the story like how to put together the comic pages in a way that would be interesting to read but not stretch the truth right um I mean I definitely feel like I learned a lot like that is not the kind of work that I would typically like it's not the kind of story that I would typically seek out to tell but I learned a lot right um, and yeah I mean it like it taught me a lot about, you know, stuff that I was aware was going on because, you know, we've basically been at war since I was 13 years old consistently. Right. Yeah. So you know, you're aware of like kind of what's happening, but it gives you nuance and it gives you like more detail into like how, you know, how things like this affect people yes. and societies around yeah. the world. Like it was interesting as a narrative thing in that way. And yeah. in the end, it ended up in affecting like the book I'm working on right now, like I took a lot of information I learned about, you know, what it's like to fight, you know, a militia or, you know, how like military things work. And I, I'm incorporating it into the book I'm working on now. So, you know, it worked out in the yeah. end. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it gave, it's inspiring a whole nother piece, like whole nother work for you. But yeah. who would have ever thought you'd be going down that path right now? <laughs> yeah. My, my, uh, my, <laughs> book like history is kind of all over the place but that's a good thing i feel like that's good that it's like you're willing to jump around from subject to subject to mm -hmm. different uh viewpoints of things and it makes you i, I don't know I'm, i feel like it's going to make it more relatable to so many yeah readers out there because mm -hmm. they're not just going to say like oh she only writes about this or they only write about this and mm -hmm. that's something that you know you open everybody up a little bit more <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I have two final questions. Yes. Uh, one is one that we ask all of our guests. That is one of my students' favorite questions to ask. And I never understand why mm -hmm. I just go with it. Uh, but one that I would like to know first is, um, a lot of young, I work with a lot of like talented, uh, artists and they, these kids are, you know, they're putting their hearts and souls on the pages. And I always like to know what is something that you would say to these kids if you were able to see them? That's a, that's a very good question. And I think there's a lot of good answers to that. The thing that I right now, like that I would say is, you know, 
be super interested in comics, but make sure you have hobbies and interests that aren't comics and give yourself things to, you know, do that isn't just working and like writing and drawing, like, you know, learn how to garden or, uh, you know, make a like cool model robot or, you know, play a sport, learn how to cook. Like there's lots of things where, you know, not only will it give you a creative outlet that doesn't turn into work, but it will also affect the stories you like to tell in a lot of ways. And I think it, you know, a lot of the things that I like to do, like I learned how to play Mahjong over quarantine and that affected like, you know, that the kind of stories I wanted to tell, or, you know, I, I got into cooking more, I got into baking and I think it was good for my mental health mm-hmm. as well as like, the kind of work I wanted to do with my comics. So that's a, that's something I recommend. Okay. Did you jump on the sour bread train? <laughs> the sourdough, sour bread? <laughs> I, I, I tended to sourdough. I had a bit more uh, uh, success with banana bread. Okay. Sourdough is very, very particular. Yeah. I killed five starters and it was like, I'm done. I, <laughs> I'll just go and buy this bread or I have friends that bake it. I will buy it from them. <laughs> <laughs> I've given up on baking. I am not good at it. Unless it's like the pre-made mix, I can just cut into pieces and put out, like that's it. Um, So now the last question I do have comes from my students and they love asking this one. What is your zodiac sign? I am a Sagittarius and I don't know a whole lot about zodiacs, but the funniest thing is that Sagittariuses are apparently the sign that doesn't care about the zodiac. Like they don't care. They're the astrology sign that doesn't care about astrology. (laughs) (laughs) So see, you're not supposed to know a lot about it then. So that's a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) What are you out of curiosity? I am a Taurus. Interesting. Okay. So I'm, I'm the uh, stubborn Italian bull. <laughs> yes. was what my family likes to tell me all the time. So oh, that's fun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but Blue, thank you so much. This was so much fun to get to talk with you and to learn all about you and your process and how you come up with some of these amazing, amazing stories. Thank um, you. I hope it was fun to listen to and it wasn't too like, insider baseball about early 2000s web comics <laughs> no, I think but I love it because it's teaching me so much because like I said I just started down this rabbit hole so I have not been in it nearly as an, as long enough and I feel like I need I have to like catch up to everybody <laughs> so I learned a lot so <laughs> well glad I'm glad and if you have any like if you're as you're you know transcribing it or whatever if you have any like questions about anything we talked about that you want more information on you you're welcome to reach out oh excellent thank you so much i truly truly appreciate it no problem um well i hope you have a wonderful rest of your day thank you same to you i hope you do too thank you have a great week and we'll be talking with you soon yeah we'll be talking to you soon all right bye emily bye thank you for joining us And thank you to Blue for talking with us about their work and giving us a glimpse into the online Kymux community. You can learn more about Blue and their work at bluedeliquante.com or follow them on Twitter at bluedeliquante. You can follow us on Twitter at amongstthebooks underscore podcast and on Instagram at amongstthebooks podcast. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. 
So please be sure to share and rate and review us. We would love to hear from you. Our theme music is written, performed, and produced by Jake Thistle. Thank you for listening. Until next time, stay safe, stay happy, and keep reading.